This week we watched Night of the Dead. Oh, you mean Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, the George Romero classic. Uh, guys, I've got some bad news for you. Welcome to Scares and Satires, the spooky podcast where we turn low fantasy into scary art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, the head ghoul in charge. And I'm Jack Olander, a ghoul digging up graves, but not to eat them, just to see if there's neat stuff in there. (laughs) And I'm Chelsea Hollowell, Monster Hunter. Ooh. Uh-oh. How does that pay? <laughs> uh, you know, I get dental. Oh, wow, that's oh. pretty good. Better than <laughs> podcasting. Holy. Yeah. As a ghoul, you gotta just take teeth from, you know, your meals to replace the ones you lose. Yeah, that's how you can talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Eating human brains returns your intelligence, I'm pretty sure. So eating human teeth makes you able to speak. Yeah. That's how you grow them too, right? It's true. Yeah. Well, I have some horrifying news for you all. This week, we watch Night of the Dead. Oh, no. Yes, it was not terrifying in the way that we wanted it to be, but it was terrifyingly mundane. Just so everyone knows, this is... Night of the Dead, as in Knicht of the Dead, <laughs> for those of you who uh, are familiar with Old English. Middle yeah. English. Middle English, even. Old or middle. Not night, but night. Right, night. Exactly. Yes, night. Night. Yeah, yeah. with sword, a K. Yeah. Sword-wielding wi- Knicht. Yes. yes. There, was, there was some swords. <clears throat> there were some axes. It's true, it's true. No nuns, though. No nuns. Yeah, well, that is much to my chagrin, no nuns. I believe I aspire to be an axe-wielding nun. Ooh. When I grow up. (laughs) That is a fair thing to want to be. There was a sword-wielding priest, so an axe-wielding nun is likely going to be the, you know, the counterpart to that. Like a sequel? Oh my god. Well, uh, before we get too far into uh, talking about all the glorious imagery and symbolism of this film, I think somebody has prepared a little recap for those of you who've forgotten what this um, masterpiece is like. Or perhaps have never seen it, nor heard of it. Unlikely. (laughs) Uh, So, Night of the Dead takes viewers on an epic journey of confusing proportions. That's for damn sure. (laughs) As a band of hero knights embark on a holy quest to transport the Grail, a religious artifact of dubious origin. Very dubious. (laughs) Through rocky hill country infested with plague zombies, 
while a random order of assassins are constantly in pursuit. These were like some BDSM assassins, so I thought that was a nice representation. <laughs> so the knights are tasked with delivering this artifact? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. To smarter, more important people than themselves. Was that... Wait, when were they tasked with that? I thought they just kind of got this thing handed off to them like, uh, you know, yesterday's underpants. Well, at the beginning of the film, there's a prophecy that references their quest as a secret, which is not, you know, it's not revealed mm. until actually midway it's through. It's even a secret to the audience. Yes. I think it was a secret to most of the knights, too. And to the writers. So these smarter people in the clergy, we would assume, are supposed to be able to figure out if this is the real grail and what the heck it can even do. I don't think that ever gets answered. Yeah, I'd say by the end of the movie, we are still also wondering that. Major failure. There's a good reason for that, so I'm about to get into that part. Mm -hmm. The film was written and directed by Mark Atkins. Oh, 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 from, um, um, I got nothing. Yeah. Uh, he's the creative mind behind such notable films as Android Cop, Jurassic School, and The Six-Headed Shark Attack. I really thought The Four-Headed Shark Attack was a better film. A lot scarier. Three-Headed Shark Attack had Machete in it, though. So. <laughs> so if you haven't seen any of those films, we highly recommend them. Uh, yes, because we have totally all seen those films. <clears throat> that yeah, I'm not right. just hearing of for the first time right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Atkins couldn't be bothered to include anything like story, nope. even though the viewers are subjected to a 10-minute exposition sequence at the beginning of the film. With bad CGI. <clears throat> yep. And then kind of surprisingly cool illuminated artwork. So that's yeah, part of that's pretty accurate medieval-style bubonic plague art. With, like, the half-skeletal people. Yeah, I don't know why they bothered to use the bad CGI when they had this other cool artifact. That's true. I think they went beautifully hand-in-hand, hand personally, but more on that. So, the sequence manages to reveal very little, if any, of the plot. Yeah. He, so Atkins instead preferred to focus on zombie hordes and human dismemberment, was there really enough zombies to constitute a horde at any point in this film? In the valley, kind of in the distance. Yeah, never really. It was really. like a threat. <laughs> yeah. Do you think like maybe a gang of zombies? I think they fought gangs, but there was a general horde just for number purposes. That's fair. So in this movie, there was also just a dash of poorly placed romantic subplot, Ooh. which was probably designed just to show off Badria's breasts, so she was the knight's guide through Zombie Valley and the only female character of the film. Yeah. So this movie <laughs> takes place in 1349 AD just because they wanted it to take place during the plague. I mean, it was cool that they are plague zombies. That is a neat idea that came out of the film. Yeah, I, I think that was probably the one ounce of creativity they had um, ready for this movie. Yeah. Um, well, then maybe we should get to the gory bits of the podcast, where we start talking about the spooky themes and the unholy critiques. Yeah, so the Plague Zombies came about 
from the plague of the living becoming the plague of the dead. And there's a religious connection to how they become zombies, although that's not really explained. I mean, this kind of goes back to Night of the Living Dead, right? When hell's full, the dead will walk the earth. Perhaps. So I thought it was interesting that... Uh, they created that connection. I I mean, there might be another movie out there that has plague zombies, but I don't know if it does, if it has a religious connection. I thought that was, that whole kind of conflagration of ideas was unique. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of times there is, in a, in a lot of movies, you know, there might be characters who are connecting the zombie apocalypse to a religious kind of, uh, you know, Armageddon or apocalypse or whatever. But to have it be possibly uh, directly like the unequivocal will of God or of the devil, I guess, sending the dead out in the religious context in this world with the grail. But I mean, then again, that could also have just been the religious characters interpreting this stuff that was happening. Um, well, you were saying before that the pl- the idea of the plague of the living becoming the plague of the dead kind of made you think that they were all supposed to be poor people. Oh, are you saying that there is a class struggle in the inherent narrative of this film? I've been pretty excited to hear your theory because I, I've really got nothing. <laughs> well, so when they brought up the this uh, this quote about, you know, the plague of the living becoming... A plague of the dead. I definitely thought of the idea of, say, the unwashed masses. You know, this this group of disadvantaged people who are considered dirty by the people in power. Those people in power want to kind of keep them repressed and push them down, and then blame them on all their, um, you know, all, all, all their own problems, all the own the problems of the people who are in power. They often blame on the people below them. Right. The only thing is that I don't think that the author of the movie, old, uh, what's his old name Marky. again? Tim, old Marky. Marky Adkins. I don't think he really did a whole lot of research, but um, you, the, what, the pla- he, during the plague, it affected people of any social class. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Black Death killed you know, rich and poor, young and old, and, and everyone in between. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the... I know that, like, the lower class did bear the brunt of it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because of their circumstances they were kind of forced to live in. Yeah, I mean, being forced into close proximity in that way um, would definitely accelerate the plague through a population. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Higher population of poor people, too. Always, yeah. So the plague of the dead would have a higher proportion of poor, formerly poor people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, in raw number numerical terms, absolutely. When you watch this film, just imagine the knights cutting through the poor instead of zombies, and you'll see what we mean. (laughs) I love how you assume that they're going to watch this film. Oh. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> a thumbs up for the plague zombies, though, was yeah. when they were showing the medieval style art at the beginning, 
There's that classic image of the kind of person who's posing that looks kind of skeletal, where their skin kind of outlines their ribs and skull. Yeah. And uh, at the very beginning of the film, you see on stakes bodies that look like that, which I thought was so cool, seeing it in like a realistic three-dimensional pose. And then when we got to the zombies, it was just like, it was like, what do you call it? Edgy people, edgy goth people with blood on them. And I was like, wait, no. But there was the cool medieval plague skeletons outside. They would have been great plague zombies, but no, it was just Hot Topic zombies. Yeah. You know what? You're giving me an idea. If this movie had been 30 minutes long and was just (laughs) exposition... Uh, basically, like classic storytelling with that medieval style artwork moving around on the oh, screen. That would have been amazing. That would have been a great little short film. Yeah, I oh. was so sold at the very intro. I, I was in it. And then it starts right off the bat with the knights having their secret quest, meeting up with the priest who's like, take it and go. And then <laughs> they kind of go out. And we they, get a we get a yeah. CGI spear thrown right through a man's torso. Yeah, I mean, a, it, it sets us up for excitement and just disappoints us like the most disappointing thing that is disappointing to a person. <laughs> All the CG uh, blood spurting up out of wounds is so bad. They don't even bother to try to make it look like people's clothes are bloody too. It's the plague. It makes your blood CGI. <laughs> I didn't get that because fake blood has got to be like the the lowest price form of special effects. Yeah. I mean, we've got bottles and bottles of fake blood in our pantry. Yeah, just like as you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you'd think that would be way cheaper than like trying to have paying somebody to do CG of all that. I mean, we should specify the blood spurt CGI effects were basically like an iPhone After effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this could have been done on any mobile device, pretty yeah, much. Maybe should have done it, it for was. Free. <laughs> Shot on an iPhone. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, the now I, I do <clears throat> want to say that the, uh, the blood talk kind of brings me to, I'd say, my hottest take on this film. And, and you're going to be surprised. My hot take is not that this is a class struggle film. Holy my hot take is that this is actually a fairly competent horror movie in terms of its pacing because it's not an action movie there's 10 there's a 10 minute scene in the beginning that's just the main characters wandering around a mountainside like character like a character in skyrim picking uh you know uh wild berries like it's really just 10 minutes of them walking around and not really saying much or doing anything but in a horror movie, in, say, the right environment, say, a, a spooky house or a mansion, a better horror environment, this could have been, like, a good tension-building moment. There's, you know, yeah. the guy there's the guy dying from a, a zombie bite at that point. In a movie that was just going for the straight horror approach and had, like, a good setting. If they were in an old castle, obviously, that would have been amazing, but that's probably a much more expensive uh, location than... A mountainside or a hillside. Yeah, well, you when you were looking it up, they we found out that they filmed in Wales. Yes. So all of that rocky ground and those little woodland areas were all filmed in Wales. It was raining a lot. You could see 
in the movie and um, I think it's not in the same location but I think based on the pacing of the beginning of the movie when they're just walking around like you're talking about I think they're trying to recreate the feeling of the Lord of the Rings movie <laughs> Ooh. and failing yeah they could have yeah. just done without but, that but I mean see this is the thing it's like like I said this could have made this makes for a pretty decent horror general outline it's kind of tense it's a little frantic, but also oddly slow. And pretty much the entire cast of characters we meet dies one by one every, say, 15 minutes. Like, it feels like they just needed the right location, and this could have been a much better movie with very few changes. Just, like I said, slap it in the castle, have some gothic kind of haunting soundtrack stuff and some interesting shots of some of the, you know, like... The castle walls and stuff, and I think this would have been a much better movie. Mm -hmm. To refer to that, I think the zombies are a major issue in the world, and almost every character that dies in it is killed because they're bitten by a zombie. Yeah, and they gotta put them down. They gotta put them down before they come back. But it's not because they're overwhelmed with numbers so often. It's because the bad guys are kind of herding them into disadvantageous areas where they have to keep encountering more zombies. It's funny that you say that because I completely forgot up to this point that there were bad guys in this movie. Yeah. And we should probably talk about that. Well, it's true. Yep. That's right. I totally forgot that they were out trying to get revenge for the one dude that the hero knights gank. Mm -hmm. And at one point, when the knights are being chased down very early on, the CGI spear gets thrown at their gang. You know, they clash for the first time, and the knights get pushed into this cave where they encounter their first zombie, which bites, I believe, his name. Oh, I felt so bad for uh, Gabriel. <laughs> oh, poor, sweet, sweet Gabriel. Yes, Gabriel gets bitten on the neck. And, uh, Probably the worst place to get bit. I know, a really unfortunate spot. And they yeah. cauterize it with a knife. And that's during the scene where they're just on the mountain for ten minutes and the plot doesn't progress at all. <laughs> and Raphael gets stuck in a gorge, and that's the only reason I know his name. Because they said Raphael got <laughs> stuck, and they free him. <laughs> Dude, that's the part where I wrote down a note where they are just... It kind of felt like, a, we can talk more about this later too, but it felt kind of like an RPG campaign with no GM. Yes. They're like the, the protagonists are just wandering around aimlessly. They go in and out of caves. It Like Raphael was with them when they all came out of the cave and suddenly he was back in the cave wandering by himself trying to get out. It was like, it felt to me like a player going back on an action that they took. And oh, no, I was outside with everybody else, guys. No, I was with them. No, more like, oh, no, I was in the cave trying to look through all the dead bodies to loot them. I didn't, I didn't say I went out with you. Yeah, you want to loot the plague bodies. Well, yeah, there's probably some shit in it. Yeah. But, exactly. Uh, yeah, don't loot the plague bodies. That would be probably my first uh, suggestion if I was DMing this campaign. It's true. And at, this is also the moment, though, after a long period of nothing happening, that they recruit the woman onto the team who, uh, Onzo... Bad Raya. Yeah, Bad Raya, who Onzo doesn't trust, because she low-key tries to kill the priest that's in their party. And, uh, 
And they, they're all just kind of getting to know each other, but then the bad guys show up and push them towards where there are more zombies. And every time one of them dies because they fought a zombie horde, the bad guys show up after they have only a few moments to rest and push them towards another one. So, I so think it does feel a lot like a D&D campaign where the DM is kind of trying to run an open sandbox world, but occasionally rem remembers... Oh yeah, there's the big bad evil that I gotta throw at the party right now to kind of keep the tension going. But it, it feels so inorganic and just kind of plotting and unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's a good callback to the horror movie idea, though. Because it's kind of just like, there's this really bad thing coming your way and you have to choose another bad option in order to get away. Like, there's no easy out. And it's I'm not going to lie, it's pretty hopeless no matter which way they go. Uh, everyone but the priest, whose name is Luther and Bad Mara, survive. Bad Raya. Bad Raya. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of this. And so, yeah, I get that horror movie idea. I get it. They also turn to the Holy Grail at one point when um, one of the knights gets bitten. Uh, the priest says, like, oh, maybe if I give him the water of the Holy Grail... It'll stop him from turning into a zombie. And he pours some of the water in his mouth, says a prayer. Then the dude comes back uh, convulsing as a zombie. And he tries giving him some more water. And because he's trying to prevent him from being turned into a zombie, he becomes a zombie and he breaks out and he kills Anzo, who's like a total, I gotta say it, he's a Chad. He was a real Chad. Yeah, his yeah. armor had no sleeves. And he had belts around his biceps. <laughs> and he had vampire teeth? What was up with that? I, I was like, oh, he's a vampire. Like, that's why he's... But no. It was just the actor's canines were humongous. Yeah, they were really noticeable. They were we very pronounced. Yeah, he also used a two-handed battle axe, which was really sick. He cleaved a zombie in half vertically. Wait, which... either that... Either it's just the actor's teeth or... There's a super, super secret werewolf subplot that we didn't pick up on. Oh, man. That is such a better movie. Yeah, when you guys inevitably watch Well, we gotta talk about movie. that for rewriting history. Save it. Yeah. <laughs> when the audience inevitably watches this film, because they got it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they can, they can DM us about the werewolves. Well, so I want to go back to this thing with the Grail, where they're trying to save... Um, I'm sorry, Raphael, I, what's his name, uh, Gabriel? It was one of them. It was one of them. I, this I wanted one to talk clear. more about that, too. So, yeah. I mean... I think this one actually was Gabriel. He got bit in the neck twice in this film. <laughs> that's That sucks, man. I know. <laughs> what a bad way to go. But I, I think it's Bad Raya is trying to convince Luther, or maybe it's the other way around. No, no, no she, she is trying to convince Luther to use it, the priest... But it's after, in an earlier scene, when he told her he's not even sure if it's the real artifact. Right, and, and that's kind of what I was getting at. And that's when at. he said, like, oh, better men than me will be able to determine that. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're, first off, they're risking their lives for a question mark, holy grail question mark. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and then there's this point where they use it to give water... To Gabriel and and Badaraya is so convinced that this is going to save him and and purify his spirit, but you know it doesn't work, and that's where I kind of re like started thinking. I don't know if there's a, a magical religious element to this film or not. I think that 
this is maybe just a um, a secular plague, or, or not a secular plague, but a, um, I think this might just be a plague that is turning these people into zombies, and that there's not a uh, you know an implication of a actual legitimate divinity that is controlling this world. Well, the way I read that scene is that the cup, the water in the cup kind of worked. Oh, by the way, he had to, Luther had to do like a, a one minute incantation over that thing while the guy, the, the cup with the water, while the guy is dying in front of him and he dies before he can fucking get through the goddamn incantation. Yeah. Uh, damn long casting times. <laughs> exactly. If it would have even worked though. The, well, like, so the grail. The, the way, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So the way I interpreted it is like kind of goes after somebody so maybe he didn't come back maybe he comes back because he's a zombie that's yeah I mean 100% that's what happens he kills Onzo yeah that's true <laughs> he yeah, bites him it's probably for the better starts eating his entrails so they were seriously <laughs> risking their lives for a wooden cup yeah it's true and uh but the priest really doesn't lose faith in it all the way throughout the film there's another scene when they're in the cave and he's kind of quoting scripture where he's saying how he'll like be totally safe if he drinks from it. And he does right before they hook up. But I, also oh, yeah. at the end, he's kind of like holding on to it with the like religious pendant he had and the one that she gave him. And uh, he kind of is like saying his goodbyes because he thinks he's too weak to go on. And he kind of finishes with the last prayer as he buries them under some moss. But then his prayer is answered when the horse shows up and he, he digs it back out because his faith was answered. I think that was the most overtly magical thing that happened in this film. Yeah, this yeah. Christian fanfic is weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were an order of knights with a secret mission. That that goes back to the, you know, there's a, all, there's a lot of different religious themes. And, uh, Jack was just talking about the faith idea. He does, Luther does try to drink from the cup again, which you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. It's unclear. He thought it would give him long life, and it's unclear if it really worked or not. It's true. I'd also like to mention, in these zombie gangs that they encounter, uh, multiple of the zombies we saw were monks, were Christian priests. Oh, so, holy men whose faith did not protect them. Yeah, it's true. So even if it was the grail, it certainly didn't seem to have any effect how strong your faith was against the plague. Yeah. I remember that plot from Neverwinter Nights. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, this was a very sepia-toned movie, too. Oh, it was oppressively gray. It looked like Gears of War in medieval times. I swear, yeah. if they had made some of the scenes in this film black and white, you wouldn't have been able to tell. It would have been the same. <laughs> yeah. Some of them seemed almost like they were black and white. I know. Yeah, it was really, really there. The only colors you could really pick out were brown and red. <laughs> yep. It's true. There was a lot of brown. Also... Just a little something about where it was filmed. You know, the Welsh lands. Mm -hmm. But uh, just because I forgot to mention earlier, in one of the scenes where Luther is captured by the bad guys and they slit his throat when they pin him against a log, there's graffiti on the log that he is up against where <laughs> people have carved their name into yeah, it. Yeah, uh, 
I thought that was very immersive. <laughs> Perfectly historically accurate. Yes. So, the only female character, really, in the film was the bed Raya, who was kind of like a holy woman of some type, maybe a shaman or a witch. Um, she was some kind of pagan... Uh, you know, traveler who got caught up with their stuff. I mean, she Enzo a, keeps calling her a witch. Yeah. She had a spirit pendant that she shows to Luther later that kind of protects her. She, it's like a spirit guide. But even as a presumably deeply devoted Christian man, Luther is pretty accepting of Bataria's, uh, you know, alternative religion or spirituality. Yeah, and something that's interesting is that the woman that played Bataria in the film is actually a practicing like shaman in real life i thought that was pretty cool yeah Yeah, she had some really cool ritualistic like makeup on her face Mm -hmm. when we looked her up it's worth looking up it looks pretty cool yeah also one thing that anzo said before luther the priest cut his head off with anzo's axe because he was just he had his entrails ripped out i just wanted to throw this quote in there because i thought it was pretty good Luther says to him, may God have mercy on your soul, and Anzo responds, not likely, before he gets his head cut off. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually a great segue to, before we get into our rating system, I actually wanted to kind of pose this question to you guys as kind of our, our last uh, bit of thematic discussion here. Do you find the religious themes of this film effective or not? I think it was pretty interesting, actually, because kind of has the same faith, right, as a more realistic setting. The reason is because when you pray for something, divine intervention doesn't just happen. <laughs> you know? Really? Yeah. I, I've never noticed that. I think when priests, if they had prayed to stop a zombie apocalypse, I don't think it would just happen. And I think believing in a cup to save your friend's life from the plague it wouldn't really work. But he gets through it. And he has faith, and he never loses morale. So I guess there's something to be said about that. So I guess the faith was pretty realistic in the film. How it was kind of a driving force, but wasn't an answer to every qu- every issue they had along the way. All right. So I think it was... It's anachronistic, but I still appreciated uh, something that Jack brought up, is that the different faiths in the movie... At least between Luther and Bedriah, uh, they accept each other's different faiths or spiritualities uh, without really judging each other. And they talk to each other in ways that would be meaningful to the other one's like religious perspective. So I thought that was really interesting. You don't often see that. The other characters were judging Bedriah for not being Christian, but... The priest wasn't, which was interesting. Yeah, that was really neat. And at the end, when she is bitten and he has to kill her, she explains that her pendant that she wears was her spirit guardian, her spirit guide that her mother gave to her. And then she gives it to Luther and he wears it and he actually really cherishes it for the rest of his journey. It's true. So I guess we all learned a little something here tonight. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Hey, that is actually kind of a good moral to take away from this kind of unfortunate film. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so. I don't know if I would describe it as unfortunate. 
the only reason I say unfortunate is because the first third was real promising in my heart. <laughs> I thought you meant we were the unfortunate ones for watching it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because we learned to be more accepting of people for their beliefs. <laughs> It's the friends we gained along the way. Yay! On the way to the next segment. Well, then that means it's time for ratings. We're going to now rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10 swords. I want you each to say one interesting thing about this movie. It could be a good thing, a neutral thing, or an evil thing. And then give it your rating in swords. Jack, why don't you go first? Ah, I think I will. Uh, one interesting thing about the film that I found pretty neat was uh, they used, the bad guys used some secretive other language that had a lot of hissing in it. it sounded very harsh, and we didn't get to see what that was, but I just thought it was kind of neat. Added a little more depth to the world, because it didn't sound like an Earth-setting language. But uh, for my rating, I think I'm going to give it five... Swords out of ten. Not a bad rating. Not a bad rating. Chelsea, one interesting thing and your rating. So one interesting thing about the movie, which was annoying at the time, but I think it's funny now, is stealth zombies. So uh, they managed to encircle the main characters when they were fighting a smaller horde of zombies. And after they were done with that fight, they were just surrounded by zombies who were just standing there in a circle watching them, waiting for them to notice and, like, be startled. So, that was, uh, that was an evil thing <laughs> that I thought was interesting. Um, so I'm gonna give this movie a two swords and a short sword. 2.5 swords out of 10. That is not surprising. A respectable rating. What about you, Jamie? What about you, Jamie? So I think the interesting part of this movie for me is that it is trying to be a like straightforward medieval fantasy, a real swords and satire movie, mm. and a horror movie, and it leans more in the direction of the horror genre. It kills off its characters very willy-nilly. Um, it tries to set more of a mood than leaning on a lot of action and everything. Um, it's more it's more about kind of the, the landscape and the environments than it is about any of the, you know, a lot of the, the more common fantasy tropes. So I think that, I, I think I'd call that a neutral um, interesting thing just because there's so much more they could have done with it. But they, they took a shot at it, and I gotta give them credit. Uh, as far as the rating goes... I'm going to give this one three swords. Mm. Yeah. That's probably just about what it deserves. Sad. Sadder. Oh, satirists. We watched a very sad Satirists become sadderists. <laughs> oh, dude, if we ever watch a really sad film, we have swords to... Swords and sad attire? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you might say there are no swords and there's no satire in this film. Very unfortunate you were wrong on two fronts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're just crying in the back. <laughs> what? Oh. Okay. 
Well, now that we've got that out of the way, I think it's time for us to rewrite history. That's right, it's rewriting history. The segment where your favorite satirists talk about how to make this movie better. We might propose a sequel, a rewrite, or a reboot. I'm proposing a rewrite. Yes, me too. With, what? <laughs> with a Lovecraftian twist. Ooh, not what I was expecting, but I am in love. I Craft. Think <laughs> <laughs> Word. I think it would be amazing if there was a twist, like halfway through the movie, that he was actually carrying an art, not the grail, but an artifact for one of the great old ones. I love it. A Cthulhu statue yeah. or Neolithotep's, uh, you know, golden scarab. And uh, by yes. becoming cultists to the great old ones, they save themselves and make their way through the zombie territories. I mean, the zombies were created by the Elder Ones, so... Oh my gosh. Wait, that would have been so good if they were actually working for the Great Old Ones and then the bad guys chasing them the whole time were like the good classic Knight Templars trying to stop them. Yeah. Oh, so as these characters are dying off, you think it's really tragic, but then by the end of the movie you realize that it's actually a good thing that these horrible doomsday cultists are, are being Slayed. I love it. Yeah, they're like if they were to complete their mission and bring this artifact to a sacred site where one of the elder ones is slumbering or something, then the entire world would be in a complete like dark age, even more of a dark age. Now, see, this that's great. I want to combine this awesome idea with what I was alluding to earlier that I want to reset this in a gothic castle. Mm. A gothic castle? No, a gothic castle. Right. Oh, okay. I want. I, I, I love the idea of making this a, a great old one scenario where these where these knights that we're following are, you actually find out are the antagonists of the movie and that the knights that you think are the bad guys are actually trying to stop this doomsday cult. But I, I want to lean more into the horror aspects. Like I said, this movie's got the kind of meandering, uh, simmering pace of a horror movie, but none of the, the content that makes it interesting as that. This big, open, kind of endless expanse. It's not even an endless expanse, though. It's not like an interesting like wasteland. It's just kind of a... Nice looking hiking place. Yeah. It's too nice of a setting, and they don't do any of the interesting things that, like, horror movies that have, like, a comfortable setting where you know something's simmering under the surface is yeah. going on. Yeah. So, with this idea, maybe when they're in the castle, they could have their sect uh, in disguise as a Christian sect. Perfect. And they could have, like, Christian iconography on some of the walls and like a cross and stuff but maybe like hidden behind the altar or something they would have the real statues that they're directing all of their prayers and energy towards so cool or or this is even better a secret lair that is hidden behind the altar and you, you have to go through a passageway behind the altar yeah to get down to into the, the dungeon yeah That's you can't so be a great. good villain without a secret lair I love that. Oh my gosh. It would be so great if underneath the castle, I'm just saying, if they're disguising as Christians, you know, good-natured folk, I think they should have a good a seemingly good-natured great old one. I'm going to propose Sathagwa 
the man who is actually kind of fond of humanity and will whisper sweet nothings to people who visit him, but his sweet nothings are horrible knowledge of the universe, which drives you mad. So I'd really love it if, because normally he sits in a cave. I think it would be pretty cool if he sat in a cave underneath the castle. Oh, so good. The idea of knowledge driving you mad is also very good in a medieval Christian setting where yeah. knowing about science and stuff could have you labeled a heretic. Yeah, it's true. Reading like, did dangerous. you know that we're held down to the earth by an invisible force that pulls us closer to the ground and not God's will? And then everyone burns that person. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It works. <laughs> now we have to figure out how to work in the secret hidden um werewolf subplot yes that's that's good i i think yeah werewolf or vampire i mean the guy that played anzo looked a hell of a lot like a werewolf he had the larger canines not the long thin ones they were like kind of fat and sharp and he was was so hairy muscular and hairy I thought he looked pretty shaved myself, but maybe Yeah, I'm... he's shaving it so people don't suspect that he's a werewolf. Oh, Dude, he spends perfect. like an hour a day getting in places you don't even think of. Ooh, <laughs> I don't think of them. Yeah. Until now. And since, you no, know, it stop. involves an elder one, you could have like a hidden dimension somewhere on his body. <laughs> Gotta like... shave my fifth dimensional areas. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I think having the, you know, th- these cultists who actually have a werewolf amongst their myths, maybe they don't know that Enzo is even a werewolf. Or maybe he's, like, their assassin. Ooh, I might have to suggest not a vampire, but a werebat. Because Sathagwa himself has the head of a bat and the oh. body of a frog. So if you worked some sort of Varkalak into the mix... Perhaps, you know, a mixture between a vampire and a werewolf. Nice. You could find that nice sweet spot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can he spread it to other people, and should he in this rewrite? uh, Based on the line where he says that God won't have mercy on him, perhaps he already has spread it to other people in the past. He might be alluding to a backstory he had. Nice. Yeah, maybe he got recruited because he started a little cult faction somewhere else. He had a little dispute with the main group, and they ended up recruiting him because he had the potential for growth. So he was with a pack. Yeah. Oh, that's hot. Uh, I want to be careful not to extend this out too long because, as listeners know, I love a movie that lands right at that perfect ninety-minute spot like this one did. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that by tacking on a bunch of unnecessary narrative. It's true. It's true. You must always be careful. Like a romantic subplot. Yeah, cut that completely. <laughs> Ooh, I'm glad we mentioned getting rid of that. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I'm ready to green light this and uh, get it out to the studios, you know, find the director to attach to this. I'm thinking, um, I don't know who's who's working that, that this is right up the alley for. Guillermo del Toro, let's say. Ooh, yeah. that's good. I think the only serious director who we should slap on this is one we've talked quite a bit about for his prestige, George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it, it would be really good for him to get a new... IP to kind of work with and luxuriate on. I'm just saying. I gotta go with my man, Sam Raimi. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I like it. 
Nice. Good choice. Get that Ash versus Evil Dead style in on this bitch. That could be so funny, actually. <laughs> this movie is in need of some good satire. <laughs> yeah. Then this movie's had enough satire at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have filled our grail with this satire. <laughs> our no. sat, our podcast overflows with satire. <laughs> you have a brain fart there, buddy. Oh, no, he's going to glitch into the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Are we all in his dream and it's like Freddy coming yep. in to um, take you away? One thousand God, the ground yes. just despawns and everything falls. <laughs> oh, well, now that we've got a much better movie in mind, let's take a quick step back to the one we just watched and figure out the answer to the eternal question, can you roleplay it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. This feels like a D&D game. Perhaps a one-shot. I think we've already discussed. There is not a lot of good communication between the DM and the player party. I just gotta say, they're not on the same page. Like Chelsea said, they, they seem to be directionless at some points, and that's when the DM kind of realizes he has to just constantly have something chasing them down to progress the plot. Yeah, I mentioned that it felt like a campaign with no GM and the players were just wandering around aimlessly like a make-believe session. But, uh, Jamie, earlier you mentioned that maybe it's just a GM who's super into random tables. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I did mention that when we were watching, that it just seems like it's a, it's a game master who's just wants to roll every encounter and roll to see, you know, what do you find, and they've got a, a lot of sections where, you know, their charts are designed so that there's just a lot of nothing, like, okay, like, we, uh, we do a perception check to, to look around, like, what do we find here, and, uh, oh, no, no, just a bunch of rocks, there's, there's nothing interesting, okay, well, we make camp, any, uh, random encounters in the middle of the night, uh, no, no random encounters, and then they're just wandering, and then suddenly you get the random encounter with some zombies, and it's just, most of the charts are just zombies. And just like, you know, roll 1d4 plus 1 zombies to attack the party. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I was just like imagining the chart on a d10 roll. And 8 out of the 10 options are zombies. One option is like the bandits chasing them, and then the last option is just like, the horrible encounter of prolonged conversation between the party members. Oh god, that is the most horrifying and possibly damaging encounter. That's why it's a 1 out of 10. You can't ruin the campaign with a bad time. But don't forget the BDSM assassins from the beginning. You gotta have those on the chart somewhere. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. They're the bandits, aren't they? Yeah, oh, I think, the, I I think BDSM assassins are a higher tier of bandits. You're right. Maybe yeah. it'll have to be a D11. Expand <laughs> the chart. Um, so Luther is one of the characters that we get to stay with the longest, the priest that's with still, the knights. And I still feel and like I know nothing about him. Honestly, it. I think he's an NPC character. Oh no! The only one who survives is an NPC character. I mean, he doesn't so seem like sad. a fighter. He doesn't seem like a rogue. I mean, if there was actually any kind of religious magic in this setting... He'd be a cleric. He'd be a cleric, but uh, so far I've seen... This is one of those low magic settings where maybe the the DM is saying, like, well, you know, if you have divine powers, you don't really know 
if it's really from a god or if it's just some other power granting it to you. Yeah, this would be an extremely low magic setting mm-hmm. to no magic. <laughs> low to no. He, yeah, he also attuned to the Holy Grail, which is like this high power artifact, legendary artifact. Or but, not. Or not, yeah, but either way, even if it is, he keeps trying to use it in ways that aren't successful. So that only allows me to glean that he doesn't know what it does. Oh, see, maybe that's the trick. Maybe it is just that he never attuned himself to the Grail, and that's why he couldn't use it for its magic. It's true. Maybe he was a paladin, after all, because he uses swords and bows throughout the film. That's true. And you can only attune to it if you're a cleric. And he's just a fool. (laughs) Or just because he's been hiding it in his pouch the whole time, he's just not bothered to try to learn anything about this artifact. Just stare at it for a full hour. I see your point, Jack. He does use weapons competently, too. He seems to know what he's doing with the sword and the bow that he makes out of a random twig. Uh, (laughs) He's not a bad fighter. He takes on the BDSM assassins at the end of the film. Yeah, even the big bad. Yeah. Who we don't really know anything about, not even his name. I believe his name was Callan. How did you figure that out? Magic. (laughs) Be this from the interwebs (laughs) Thine great arcane weave of knowledge Upon thine Wi-Fi Mine gods So yeah, I could see him as a paladin That makes sense I see it I I mean, this is like They're all level one characters Oh yeah Yeah, it's true Uh, D&D might even be too high power level for a game like this. I was actually suggesting uh, that it be just kind of a medieval themed setting for the horror RPG Ten Candles. Oh yeah. Well, I liked this idea a lot. Yes, where you light and correct me at any point. Take over if you'd like. I refuse. Oh, you light ten tea candles and you each kind of have like a note card that has your character and your goal? Do you have a goal? Yeah. I'm not sure what's on the cards. I know that you have a stack of index cards with some things written on them. That's right. But anyway, the whole point of it is that the game lasts as long as the candles burn. And at some point, everyone is going to die. Yeah, by the time the last candle burns out, all the characters are dead. Yeah, and I think it's perfect for this film because, like you said earlier, Jamie... Every, like, 15 minutes, a character is killed off in this movie. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. The timing works pretty well. Um, I believe that there's something in the game where you burn your index cards to uh, carry out particular actions. Or kind of have, like, dramatic last stands. Right, yeah. That's so cool. And they all pretty do have, like, a dramatic last stand or a last action. Yeah, so I think that would actually be a great way to kind of reskin this onto what would probably be a much more interesting story, which is just a group of role players uh, carrying out this game of mm-hmm. Ten Candles. Yeah. It would be way more entertaining than Night of the Dead was. Yeah, group storytelling more in its pure form rather than with a, like a, another role-playing game where you might have more... Of the charts and math involved in actual character sheets, like something simpler. It had the meandering kind of go nowhere pace of a lot of uh, 
like group storytelling RPGs. Yeah. Where everything is, you know, like in uh, a lot of them, it's everything is going to go bad. The question is, how does it go bad? And the interesting part is watching that play out. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, skinning it on the D&D characters does seem uh, like really just the characters would mostly be commoners, NPCs, <laughs> and level one characters who die before they yeah, get anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if we were going to give Bedraya a class in D&D, she might be a druid. Mm-hmm. Could be. Low-level druid. Uh, or a shaman. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know if the shaman is still a thing anymore. No, nah, just fourth edition. <clears throat> but, or third. Uh, yeah, or third. Or second. Mm-hmm. Ooh. But in fifth edition, I think a druid makes a lot of sense. There is a scene in the film when she and Luther are in a cave. She holds out a crystal which glows when they're going the right way. And Luther asks her if it's magic, and she responds by saying, not magic, but nature. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big, big argument for Druid right there. Yeah. That's pretty much the only evidence of any kind of unexplainable uh, feature of this movie. Besides zombies. Religious what do you mean? Plague zombies. <laughs> Why isn't that explainable? <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta say... Uh, uh, some spooky stuff happens in nature. I don't know about that one specifically, but when I look at magnets floating in the air, it looks pretty magical to me. So nature, magic, I see it, you know. It makes sense. If you want to homebrew a magnet druid, viewers at home, I'd love to see it. <laughs> well, we can finally answer that age-old question, how do magnets work? There are things man was not meant to know, Jamie. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time for us to say goodbye on this, the second spooky episode of this year's Scares and Satires. Tune in next week as we discuss the Nicolas Cage classic, Season of the Witch. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> but until then, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Make sure to leave a review and a five-star rating if you had fun. And if you didn't have fun, um, you know, you, you can still leave a five-star review. We won't mind. <laughs> until next week, Hail Crom! Oh, hell, crumb. <laughs> yeah, that's the crummy right there. Yeah, that's crumb.